We are on lesson 12 of the fall quarter. The title of the lesson is Paul's Instructions on Godly Living, and the scriptures are Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Paul, who gives us doctrine and what we have, tells us what we have, and then tells us what that means as far as how we should live. And we pray that you'd help us pay attention as he teaches us how we should live. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first one, first section is heavenly thinking. That's verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3. Can somebody read that one for me? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so it starts off, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So it starts off, chapter 3, with the word, Therefore. Therefore tends to, in the Bible, makes you want to look backward to see why he's saying therefore. And here what Paul is doing is transitioning from doctrine to practice. Okay, chapters 1 and 2 were about Christ and about us and what Christ means, that he is God, he's also man, that in him we have everything we need as far as philosophy, um, as far as wisdom, and as far as power. And so now he's going from orthodoxy. Remember, orthodoxy means correct belief. To orthopraxy, correct practice. So, orthodoxy should translate into orthopraxy for us. But that's variable between people. You know, as you're saved by belief in Jesus alone, um, not everyone moves on into correct practice. You know, it depends on how, how you pursue the Lord. So, Paul tends to do this in other books. He... In uh, Romans 12, verse 1, there's another therefore. Romans chapter 1 through 11 is all um, doctrine. Um, you know, chapters 6 through 8 are about our new nature, how to live godly now by submitting to the new nature and using the power of the Holy Spirit to actually do it. He also does that in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are doctrine, and then the last three chapters are about practice. And in Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, again, he says, therefore, and he talks about practice after spending the first part of it on doctrine. I think that's interesting, you know. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, there's absolutely no commands all the way through the first three chapters. And in chapters 4 through 6, there's something like 35 or 38 commands. Because, including putting on the armor of God. And, uh, you know, because the first three chapters are telling you what you have. You have the resources you need to do this. The unbeliever does not have the resources to obey the commands. 
because all they have is their sin nature. And so the sin nature refuses to obey the commands. Now in Revelation, which John wrote, the uh, that pattern is reversed. Jesus in his letters, chapters 2 and 3, gives practice to the churches. He gives commands to the churches. And then the motivation is given in chapters 4 through 22, which is the description of the tribulation period. That motivates you to <laughs> do what he says in chapters 2 and 3. But anyway, so it says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. So what does that mean? To keep seeking the things above. Yeah, seeking the things above means your life should begin to reflect heaven's values as you follow the Lord, you know, once you're saved. Should begin to reflect heaven's values. You know, some, some of us, it takes a, a bat to the side of the head to get woken up to you need to do that, you know. Um, others, it doesn't, you know. Like my mother, she just heard a sermon when she was 17. And she decided to follow the Lord then. You know, she she would believe in the Lord earlier. So it didn't take as much for her as it did for me. But that's what you want to do is uh, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And it says that he is seated at the right hand of God. So whose throne is Jesus on right now? Right. Whose throne is that? His father's. Right. His father's. This is, you know, people tend to confuse this all the time because there's a this doctrine called Kingdom Now Theology, which was developed a long time ago by Augustine, which says that we are spiritually in the kingdom now, and that is not true. We're not in the kingdom now. And so this is something that the uh, quarterly, I must correct, It's there's a box on page 96 that says, at the right hand of God, and it's, it starts off, the right, hand, the right side of a king was considered the highest place of honor in Bible times, receiving this position next to God the Father in heaven is the greatest honor possible, and then it goes through some verses and things. And then it says at the end, Jesus' authority is wielded from his heavenly throne. It's not his throne. He is not on his throne. Okay. Revelation 3, verse 21 says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He is on the father's throne. His throne is on earth. In Jerusalem. That's where Jesus' throne is. And he will be on it at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And he asks us to join him in his administration. You know, the church is Jesus recruiting people, number one, for eternal life, but also to rule with him in his kingdom. We are going to be in his administration. And so I think this is very, you know, it seems nitpicky 
to attack the quarterly because of this, but it's a very important difference. You know, Jesus is on the Father's throne where he's acting as our high priest right now from heaven, and he's doing all sorts of things. He is building the church. He gives spiritual gifts. He upholds the world with his power and, um, you know, all sorts of things. But he is not ruling politically as he will in the millennium. So verse 2, so set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. The word set in Greek suggests striving. That word set suggests striving. Set your your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. No, I'm sorry. That that was in verse 1. Keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. So that suggests striving. And verse 2, set your mind on the things above. That suggests concentration. So we want to be seeking things above. And set our minds concentrating on the things above. So how do you do that? Yeah, I like what Dane said. I think it was last week. He said, he said, if you don't mature in the Bible, you will not mature at all. You know, that's how you mature, by knowing God's Word. God's Word speaks to you, you know, as a believer, because the Holy Spirit lives within you. And so the Holy Spirit will apply the Bible, which is written to everybody, to you specifically. So you learn his word with a willingness to obey. That is the our nature that we're born with. We set our minds on what we like here on earth, you know. Many, you know, some people, their work, uh, some people, their, uh, you know, their marriage or, you know, their, their love interest or whatever it is. And uh, all those things are important, but if your mind is on the things above, it makes those things better. It makes you use those things appropriately. And um, so, yeah, that's the first goal. So verse 3, we've learned this before, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Once you believe in Jesus, you are in him. Okay, you were united with Christ, you were united with him in his death. That is how we can ignore our sin nature. We're able to ignore our sin nature when it, because our sin nature talks to us. And it wants us to do bad things, <laughs> sinful things, because it's a sin nature, <laughs> you know. Things that seem pleasurable that will d- destroy you, you know. And once we're saved, we have the ability to ignore it to ignore that nature. So our identity in Adam has died. So you look the same on the outside as you did before you were saved. But as you grow spiritually, people will notice that there is a difference in you. And that's what Jesus talked about when he was talking to Nicodemus. It was in John chapter 3. And verse 8, Jesus said, The wind blows, and this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So once you're saved and you're beginning to listen to the Holy Spirit, you look the same, but you act differently. And people begin to notice that difference. Yeah. And those are the works that are rewarded, the ones that Christ does through you. You lend him your body, basically. Here, you can have my body, Lord, to do what you want with it. And uh, when you do that, he'll reward you for that, for whatever it is he does through it. So um, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, and that's what we were just saying, you know, Christ is our life. That's what Paul said in Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And, um, you know, it is totally different than Satan. If Satan possesses someone, or, or a demon possesses someone, their personality is crushed, and the demon's personality comes out, right? It is not at all like that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings your personality to life. You know, your true personality does not crush it. And it's like the uh, the inspiration of the Bible. You know, the Holy Spirit authored the Bible through people. He didn't crush their personality. He used their personality. You know, Peter talks a lot about water. He talks a lot about the flood. You know, he's a fisherman. Luke talks about Judas' guts coming out. He was a physician, you know. They, he uses people's personality to do these things and doesn't, doesn't you know, mess it up. So when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So what is he talking about there? We'll be revealed with him in glory. Yeah, I think that's speaking of this. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That is the point at which, either that or at our death, physical death, that we will lose our sin nature, and then we will be revealed with him in glory First John chapter 3 and verse 2 says something similar to that. First John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. So that's what we're looking forward to, and that gives us a lot of hope. And so that is how we can act differently because we want to please him. And we do want our rewards, which he wants us to have also. And that is heavenly thinking. So, you know, Christian living basically is learning to think the way God thinks. That's why the Bible is important, because the Bible tells us how God thinks. And then we can think along with him. It is somewhere. I think it's in Philippians. I think we studied that last uh, I believe, or maybe it's, I don't know, that I could, that could be wrong, I don't know, I can't, I don't know where it is, it's in there someplace, but yeah, we have the mind of Christ, so, um, 
Okay, that's that's heavenly thinking. Anything more about that section of heavenly thinking? We want to set our mind on the things above. On Jesus and his word. Amen. Amen. So the next section is the new self. And that is verses 5 through 11. And I'll read that one. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. It's very lofty words, isn't it? Just very lofty verbiage here. So, verse 5, again. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. So that's what, that's the, that is the secret to living the Christian life. Considering yourself as dead. So sin does not have rule over you any longer because you're dead. Nor does the law have rule over you anymore because you're dead. Um, now you're in a relationship with God. That's how you live. So since you have died with Christ, you are now dead to the desires of your old nature. You know, they still tug at you. I know that personally. <laughs> they tug at you. Um, but you have the ability to say no. And those are immorality, which are is illicit sexual relations, impurity, which can, is a kind of a more general moral uncleanness, passion, which is carnal cravings, you know, not necessarily just uh, sexual things, but other things, and Evil desires or depraved covetousness. They're all terrible things, right? This is what we are dead to. And then it says, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. What, what, what is he saying there? The wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. A person is his own worst enemy. Yes. Yeah. And actually, the Greek of that... Well, yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely right. It sounds here like it's in the future tense. The wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. The Greek is the word erkete. That's what they translate, will come. And it just means come present tense and that is um, well Romans 
chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 talks about the wrath of God is present already. Yeah, but John 3.36, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son, obey the Son in the sense of trusting him, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the unbeliever lives with the wrath of God abiding on them. And, uh, and we did too. Before we were believers, we lived with the wrath of God abiding on us. And the part of that wrath, of it's not really a wrath, but it's this uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit convicting you constantly of sin. You know, righteousness and judgment constantly. Um, so. The people that have no, quote unquote, moral compass. Mm-hmm. And can sear your conscience, so it's like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, it's okay. Everybody else does it too. You know, that is the searing of your conscience. Um, but, you know, in quiet times, the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, there's a price. <laughs> there's a price. So, um, so now these practices in the believer, it says, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. If these things, can these things happen in the believer? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. They can. The believer is not immune to these things. If they listen to their sin nature. Which they can. We can do that if we wish. The Lord has given us the choice. After we're saved. To listen to him or to listen to our sin nature. And if you do listen to your sin nature, then you can expect this. Hebrews 12, verse 10. For they dis disciplined us, this, this is fathers, for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So the Lord will discipline his own who are engaged in these things. And his goal is to turn them around, you know, and to get them to follow him. That's his goal. He will not destroy them completely. He might kill them physically if they don't turn around. But that does not destroy them. That takes them to heaven. Okay, it does take their rewards away. And, you know, walking with the Lord is a much more joyous way to live. So verse 7 says, And in them, that's these uh, evil practices, you also once walked when you were living in them. So, you know, everybody has a past, don't we? We all have a past. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, you know, believers cannot say, oh, I'm better than you, to anyone else. Because we all have a past. And we we're all born into this world, sinners needing a Savior. And, uh, and somehow the Lord convinced us to believe him. So, 
that's a great thing that we can tell other people who are sinners too. We were sinners and we were saved, you know? Does that mean we're better than you? No. It means we trusted the one who is better than you. <laughs> and, and that's it. And so that way we can evangelize. So verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. See, these things, the first list kind of tended to center around sexual things. Not totally, but this one talks about um, anger. Put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. So we are dead to those things. We don't have to engage. You know, when we're provoked, we tend to, at least I do, I tend to be very quick to come back. And you have to train yourself to be a little slower. The Holy Spirit time to work on you <laughs> before you come back. Um, and that's a training process to, you know, to just, just give it a sec. And then he goes on to say, verse 9, Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Dane said this, I think, last week too. If we lie, we are aligning ourselves with the devil. Every time we lie. There is no such thing as a white lie. A lie is associated with the devil because he is the father of lies. You know, And so um, as a Christian, you can align yourself temporarily with the devil by lying. So we don't want to lie. Why lies count? Yes, any lie counts. Um, so we want to be truthful, and uh, that's why we don't want to do these other things, because these other things make us want to lie. Because <laughs> they, they make us want to cover it up. Um, so yeah, you want, to, you, want to be very, you want to be known for your truthfulness. You want other people to know that you say something they can count on you. So be very careful when you're agreeing to someone, something with someone. You know, for even like meeting together with them. You want to meet at this time? I think. Give the Holy Spirit time to work because I'd really want to. <laughs> Before you say yes. If you say yes, you go. Doesn't matter how you feel. If you say yes, agree, you go. You do it. Yeah, you you know you want, it's okay to give compliments. You want to, them to be truthful compliments, and you know you don't have to be. I would say um, you, you should just talk less if you can't say something good. You know, just talk less. So verse ten, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Yeah, that's the Lord's goal for us, to make us into his image, his own image. You know, we don't want to lie because we are associated with the one who not only does not lie, but he is the truth himself. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No one can come to the Father, but through me. So Jesus, not only does not he not lie, he's the definition of truth. And we are associated with him. So verse 10, um, as we put on the new self, we do what we ought to do. I remember when I was less mature. You know, I feel like I've matured over the years spiritually. 
when I was first following the Lord, I didn't know what the word spiritual meant. I couldn't get it. I couldn't grasp it. What is spiritual? What is that? You know, I didn't know what it meant. It, you know, and finally I learned, well, it just means being obedient. It means being obedient to the word of God. As you see the what, what applies to you, that is that is what being spiritual is. You're, of course we can. As you take on the responsibility that the Lord gives you, you mature. Right. Maturity has absolutely nothing to do with age. Do we understand this? Yeah. Um, maturity has to do with submission to God's will. There are believers who are old, who are immature. A lot of you believers are that way. Who are old physically, but they're immature spiritually because they refuse to submit to the will of God for their lives. They don't want to. Okay? And um, so it has absolutely nothing to do with age. Um, you can be a mature, I would say Dana's a mature Christian. He's young. <laughs> He's a young guy, you know. I forget sometimes the difference in our ages. You know, he's younger than my son is. And uh, I forget because he is mature. So, um, and that's what we want to be, you know, because people come to the Lord as children. That doesn't mean they have to remain spiritual children. They can grow into maturity at a young age. And their life will be very useful for God because they have a long time to go, you know. And that where the Lord can use them. So verse 11, a renewal in which there's no distinction. He's talking about this renewal of putting on your new self. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Now this goes against this uh, philosophy that has begun to infiltrate the church. There's no distinction between the Greek and the Jew. Okay? So, the Greek is everything that isn't Jew. And then there's the Jew. The Jew, Jew is the chosen person. They are the chosen people. They're the chosen people of God. Between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, so they, the circumcised are practicing Jews. The uncircumcised are, you know, outside of that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. Circum Gentiles can be circumcised in the heart. It is not necessary for them to be circumcised physically. Um, and actually the New Testament tells them, you know, Paul tells them, if you get circumcised, it won't do you any good as far as your spiritual health, you know. That was for the Jewish people. And the Abrahamic covenant, you know, I've said this before, if I was Jewish, which I'm not, and I had a son, I would circumcise him because the Abrahamic covenant is intact still for the Jews, you know. We are grafted into the Abrahamic covenant. Um, but for Gentiles, it's not necessary now, you can circumcise your kids for health reasons. I think that's a good reason to do it, too. Because, um, you know, getting an infection there is bad 
It's a bad place to have a problem. <laughs> and I've seen that. And then circumcisions on adults for that reason. So, but anyway, so that I went off on a rabbit trail a little bit. Yeah, I think there are physical benefits of it. Um, you know, if you take good care of it, keep it clean and stuff, it's okay. But, you know, I dealt with people because I was in the military and people would go out in the field for, you know, weeks on end and, and it was just gross, you know, and they would get infections under there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, it's kind of a humbling sign, isn't it, that the Lord to cut that off very personal part anyway okay where were we okay yeah so but basically you know there's this issue that people saying oh we have to do away with racism in the church you know greek and jew those that's races it's already done it's done away with all we have to do is listen to the lord and the racism is done away with already. We don't have to make pay any special attention to it. So <clears throat> just follow the Lord. Yeah. Slave and free man. So that is uh, kind of economic differences. The barbarians are uncultured people. So Christ is available to every single person, irrespective of what category they're in, what category they are in. And uh, so and that went against what the, the incipient Gnostics were teaching is, oh, you know, you have to learn the deep secrets to be, no, you don't. You just need to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. That's all. Christ breaks down all barriers between souls. We don't have to worry about critical race theory other than to stomp it out. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing you have to do is stomp out critical race theory because it is a vile philosophy. Barriers between people. So, section C, God's chosen people. That's verses 12 through 14. Somebody want to read that? Verses 12 through 14. Thank you, ma'am. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Chosen of God. Did you know you were chosen of God? Yes. How does that make you feel? Yeah, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? It makes you feel good. Jesus, you know, like uh, you're picking a team and at recess, you know, you get picked for the team. Doesn't that make you feel good? <laughs> you're saying no. It almost seems John 15, 16, the upper room discourse, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. So that's a promise of answered prayer there. John 17, 9, again, the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, I ask on their behalf, this is the apostles, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, 
for they are yours. The Father gave Jesus his apostles. And Ephesians 1, 2 and 3 says this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us. The Bible also has John 3.16. God so These three verses I just read you are verses on God's sovereignty and choice. John 3.16 is a verse on uh, the freedom of man's will. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So you must choose. Acts 16.31 says, the Philippian jailer asked, how, how might I be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That is your choice. Okay. The Bible teaches both things simultaneously. God chooses, we choose. You cannot be saved if you do not choose. God chose. Okay, thank you. That's the one I like best. He, he is omniscient, he knows. But so both things are true. God is sovereign. We must choose. And when we choose, he chose. <laughs> so anyway, it's, I, I like talking about it. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, there is a concept called open theism, which is that God doesn't know what people will choose. He knows the possibilities, but he waits for them to choose. And that arose in evangelical circles. That's a terrible heresy against the omniscience of God. Yeah, no, God foreknows all things. So, um, and he loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. Yeah. So we are beloved of God. Said so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. So we are holy. When it says we are holy, what does that mean? Set apart. Set apart. Yeah. Holy means set apart to God. Believers in Christ are set apart to God. Now, this is what we are to put on after taking off what we just talked about in section B. We are to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And yes, those are fruits of the Spirit. So as you allow the Spirit to, if you yield to the Spirit as he you're reading the Bible and he urges you somewhere. These things will be expressed in your life. You don't have to gin them up, you know. You can't gin them up. All you do is listen to the Lord, do what he says, and these things will be naturally expressed through, through you. So verse 13, bearing with one another. Now, is that hard? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we, people irritate us. So we have to bear with one another. That's what poor Judy is having to do right now. 
She's having to bear with this guy who doesn't have control of his faculties. That can be difficult. So we should pray for strength for Judy. And the fruit of the Spirit, because it's difficult. So, um, and forgiving each other. Yeah, because do we sin against each other? Yes, we do. And we want to be willing to forgive. So whoever has a complaint against anyone, and this is the way we should do it, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Just think of what the Lord forgave you. So we want to be uh, like him. We want to forgive like him. And it keeps us from getting bitter. You know, if we don't forgive, we become bitter. And that is that, that quenches the fruits of the Spirit from being expressed in us. So, and beyond all these things, put on love. That's kind of the cherry on the top. Love is the cherry on the top, which is the perfect bond of unity. And this is the word, Greek word agape. And how is that? How do you love agape-like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, right. It is not really a feeling. No, love is not um, the, this type. Yeah, eros, you know, is romantic love. There's a lot of feelings involved in that. Um, there's filio, which is brotherly love. Uh, there's storge, which is uh, familial love, love in the family. These are Greek, has four words for love, and then there's agape. Agape is a decision of the will, um, you know. I'm going to do what's best for somebody else. Um, and sometimes at a sacrifice to myself. So it's not mushy. It's not a mushy love. It's a decision that I will do what's best for somebody else. That's a, yeah, we, yeah, we can't do that. Well, no, we can't do that. Right. We just, that's, that's why for me, it's easier to just take it day by day. <laughs> okay, Lord, what would you like for me today? And go that way and he will grow me, you know, because yeah, I, I, when I think about loving, okay, D is a grateful heart verses 15 through 17. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do we need peace in our hearts? We need peace in our hearts. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So you never need to be fearful. You don't need to be troubled because Jesus has given you his peace. And sometimes we do get our feathers ruffled 
And that's why we have that instruction in Philippians to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition. But prayer will bring the peace back. The peace that surpasses understanding. Yeah, so... um. And then be thankful. We know from 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that it is God's will for us to be uh, thankful in all things. So we should be the most thankful people in the world, and that's good since we're coming up on Thanksgiving. So we want to be thankful. And then verse 16, singing is good. When I was a teenager, I hated singing. Yeah. So you want to admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing is good. God likes it. And verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when whatever you do, do it for the Lord Jesus. That will help you do good things. <laughs> if I do this for the Lord Jesus, I want it to be something that's, you know, upright. And then you glorify the Lord Jesus as you do it, and the Father. When you glorify the Lord Jesus, you glorify the Father also, which is your purpose for existence. And that's what makes you happy. When you're doing what you were made to do. Yeah. So that's what we want, what we want to do. So we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.